Hello again everyone and welcome back to the Underground. This is the Intel update for Friday the 14th of July 2023 and as usual it is being recorded on the day prior. I know it's been a very long time since I've done an Intel update, uh, so this one's going to be a little bit more strategic in nature, and we're going to talk about a lot more uh, broad brush topics than uh, specific incidents that have occurred since the you know months that I've kind of been away from these. This is really just more of a way to get my feet wet uh, getting back into the swing of doing briefings again. Uh, at the end of the briefing today, I'll kind of uh, expand a little bit more into my line of thinking and the things that I'm concerned with moving forward, you know, into this, into the future, because uh, we're, we're, we've definitely hit the gas, right? And uh, there's a lot of very troubling things on the horizon. And I think a lot of people are very worried, uh, rightfully so, uh, about, you know, a lot of different topics. So I'll kind of share some of the things that I'm concerned about moving forward. And really, it has nothing to do with world events. It's more along the lines of how we react to uh, world events. But but again, we'll, we'll get to that at the end. So for right now, let's start with strategic trends. Basically, things that I have noticed and, and that can be applied as more of a blanket statement for the United States and North America at large, I guess. The first thing that many of you have noticed, myself included, over the past few months is the increase of strategic aviation assets. Basically, the U.S. military has been very, very active over the past few months, uh, observably so through uh, traditional OSINT observers, through people who kind of track aircraft as like a hobby, and people just generally looking up into the skies, you know, standing in their yard and noticing that there are a lot more military aircraft of differing types or types that they've never seen before uh, traveling around the United States. States. Now, of course, we cannot really apply blanket statements to the entire U.S. military, right? All we really have is kind of the gut feeling that, that there's a lot of military assets flying around in the United States, and a lot of them, due to uh, OSINT people tracking where they're going and being aware that very sensitive military equipment is flying around in the skies in places where it's not normally observed to be flying around, uh, a lot of people have noticed that military aircraft are, by and large, a lot of the time flying around without their transponder turned on. On. Now, I've heard a lot of reasons behind this, uh, none of which I can verify. One of the main theories that people have noticed a lot of military assets flying around without their transponder off is simply the result of a software update. Uh, apparently, the, the story, at least I've heard through the grapevine, again, this is all rumor, is that a few months ago a software update was patched through to a lot of different types of airframes, uh, helicopters, fixed wing, things like that, to make the automatic uh, transponder mode be switched to basically a blackout mode. Now this rumor doesn't make sense for a lot of different reasons. Um, it may be for helicopters, but you know, fixed wing assets are really going to have to use their transponder when they're flying around the United States, especially some of those bigger Air Force uh, aircraft that are, uh, you know, transports and things like that. So, and I, uh, having some knowledge of how Army helicopter uh, transponder modes work, it doesn't seem like that'd be a very easy thing to do, uh, but it might explain some of the reasons why it seems like a lot of units are just going you know, completely black, and we're seeing no transponders being used, mostly with rotary wing aircraft, helicopters, and things like that. It could also be SOP. I know, personally, several units uh, in my general area have decided that it's SOP now to fly around without any transponder mode on whatsoever, or just leaving, you know, things like IFF on, uh, which would not be detected via ADSB. Also, a lot of military assets are being rolled off the line without ADSB uh, functionality, because they just don't think that that's something that they need, or at least 
least that, again, is what I've heard. Again, this is really just kind of a rumor thing because obviously the Department of Defense is not going to tell us why or how uh, they're no longer uh, using uh, transponders for a lot of their movements. The DOD, of course, has blanket permission from the FAA to turn off their transponder on all of their aircraft uh, flying around the United States. Now, most of the time, like I've pointed out many, many, many times uh, in previous videos on aircraft tracking, the DOD mostly does not do this uh, because, you know, in an era of post 9-11, if you are a civilian air traffic controller and you've got a very large radar signature uh, flying through your controlled airspace and it is not <laughs> got a transponder on, that is kind of a, uh, a big red flag, right? So to prevent a lot of unnecessary strife uh, between military pilots and the, their you know civilian air traffic controllers throughout the United States, mostly military pilots of, of all uh, airframes tend to turn their uh, ADS-B tracking on. Uh, or if they're going to be going blacked out, they're going to be going dark, uh, they're going to be flying around in designated training areas so that air traffic controllers don't freak out. However, like I mentioned, the strategic kind of trend here that we're noticing is that this may be coming to an end. There have been a lot of extremely rare uh, airframes flying around uh, up and down the East Coast. Ever since the Chinese spy balloon incident, there have really just been an awful lot of aircraft flying around the skies, and I, I'm sorry I can't be more specific than that because it's just a general trend that a lot of people have noticed. I just want to let everybody notice, hey, I've noticed it too. Some of this is to be expected, but it also means that our baseline for activity has shifted. Now, if you're preparing for something in the future uh, militarily, you're going to want to shift your own baseline, right? Going back to World War One, this is a classic standard battle tactic, right? Of, you know, if you're sitting in a trench and the bad guys are in the other trench over there and you notice an awful lot of movement and it looks like there's five times the number of people over there, you know that there's an attack coming, right? So what you want to do is shift your baseline slowly and make it look like there's nothing out of the ordinary while you're massing for an attack or some kind of large operation. I don't know if that's what's happening with the United States. I think the United States is absolutely preparing for World War III, which is most certainly broken out, at least in a fifth-generation warfare aspect, but it does seem like the DoD is shifting their baseline either unintentionally or intentionally, which is interesting considering all of the training woes that the DoD has had uh, over the past few months. The DoD has been bleeding personnel for quite a long time, uh, but it really kind of kicked into high gear during the illegal mandate period uh, over the past few years. So on the one hand, you've got the military just absolutely strapped for personnel. Parts are an issue. Maintenance is an issue. You've got military units pulling tanks and, and, and military hardware out of museums uh, so that they can use them for either training or in a real-world scenario. Uh, you've got the military at large going through a very, very tough time, and yet it seems like there's an increase in domestic operations. So that's very interesting. Uh, all I can say is that this is a gut feeling. There really isn't very much analysis that I could uh, point to other than you know just general flight traffic increases. But I just wanted to point that out, that there has definitely been a shift in the strategic baseline in the United States domestically. Another more unsettling domestic uh, problem has been the rise of strategic infrastructure targeting throughout the United States. Uh, I know a lot of people uh, want me to get back into the into the swing of tracking all of these different strategic critical infrastructure incidents. Right? We have to call them incidents because there's no evidence that there is an attack. But it's weird that all that a lot of factories and food production facilities just suddenly catch fire or explode or something like that. 
I will uh, get back to doing the homework to finding out about a lot of these facilities, but since the last brief, I just wanted to make a, another <laughs> blanket statement saying these attacks or <laughs> incidents, right, have continued. Uh, there has been very little uh, cessation in all of the different kinds of infrastructure problems we've been seeing. Again, this is for multiple reasons, in my opinion, but I just want to make it clear to everyone that I haven't done a brief for so long, not because these incidents haven't been happening. These events most certainly have happened, whether I've covered them or not. Uh, and it's just become kind of a new norm. We all know that mainstream media has just been a, a straight-up propaganda machine for a very long period of time, and therefore most people in America now get their general daily news from social media. Well, unfortunately, social media is becoming, in my opinion, a less and less viable option due to both censorship and uh, claims of free speech, but actually locking down uh, and creating more censorship as well. Uh, so it's kind of a mess. In the information space, it is a straight-up dumpster fire. Uh, I personally, uh, you know, it's my career has been in the information space, and I don't know what's real or not anymore. So I certainly cannot expect the average person out there who just wants to read the news uh, to be able to discern uh, what's real and what's fake what's overblown or what's underreported. That's really hard for the professional analyst to identify nowadays, but it's even harder for the average person who's just, you know, looking to get the information out there. And this problem with social media and it's, it's you know, the fact that it's not as reliable anymore as it used to be is, I think, really, at least partially due to what I'm calling changing social dynamics. In other words, there's a lot of feelings out there in the world, and there's a lot of politics. I don't know if you could call it politics or not, but there's a lot of ideas, a lot of ideology, and and uh, it's becoming ever more difficult to just have a normal conversation with another human being. It is becoming very, very difficult to do that, even face-to-face -face off of the internet. Even in my very, very small community, I've noticed that it has changed uh, very significantly over the past few years for, I guess, many reasons. It's not just the cities that are becoming absolute, you know, dystopias. Uh, these, this ideology and the, this problem is present even at the most uh, simple human interaction in a lot of the country, right? So, again, we'll talk more about this at the end, but I, I just wanted to stress how difficult this makes communication. Society has changed so much that I honestly am having a very hard time finding anybody in real life that shares my opinion on even the simplest of things. It used to be you could walk into a room of 10 people and agree with, you know, five or six of those people, or, or even maybe more than half of those people on general topics. You could probably get, you know, agree with most of those people on very broad topics, very broad social ideas and social mores and norms and things like that. Nowadays, I feel like every time I've walked into a room of 10 people, I would be very lucky to even have one person who I share the most broad ideology with. And I don't say that to just complain. I say that because it makes communication very, very difficult when you can't even gauge what words to use in a standard conversation with normal people in everyday life. It's just become such an information war that average everyday human communication, you, 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 absolutely, you just latch on to it when you find someone that isn't absolutely repulsive uh, to your entire uh, belief system. And that is occurring not just in the cities, but in a lot of places around the country. I know, not exactly a cheery thought, uh, but it's become so much of a problem that it's, it's, uh, it's really kind of hampering uh, 
people's efforts to build communities, myself included. Uh, it has just been a, a an absolute nightmare over the past couple of years uh, just to interact with other human beings in a way that is, uh, you know, what I would consider to be normal. I don't think I've changed that much over the past few years uh, when it comes to social norms and mores, but man, I tell you, things are crazy out there. So crazy, in fact, that it makes it hard to in- exchange even the most basic uh, social interaction. So, so with all of that kind of negative aura around everything, let's let's jump to some of the regions around the United States, and we'll talk about some of the uh, problems that we can actually sink our teeth into and maybe work around. And the first of which is in the Northeast region. Now, again, this is a more broad topic, right? That throughout the entire region is really the the place where this is uh, most uh, applicable. But the USGS, the United States Geological Survey, uh, published a report a couple of days ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago now, uh, detailing the extensive use of uh, PFAS chemicals, uh, otherwise known as forever chemicals. In short, the report that they published uh, indicates very strongly that approximately 45% of the entire drinking water supply in the United States has been tainted with forever chemicals over the past few years. Uh, I will provide the link for the study yourself, so if you want to read throughout the entire research study, you can. You can. To me, it looked like a pretty good study, but it's been a long time since I've uh, uh, been on the big data side of things. Uh, their uh, testing parameters, however, were around 700 wells uh, from uh, strategic watersheds spread evenly around the United States. So it, it's a pretty good representation of the average uh, water supply throughout the entire country. Uh, and the reason that I put this report here in the Northeast region is because the Northeast region is some of the most heavily contaminated, specifically places like New Jersey, New York City. The uh, the the levels of forever chemicals in the drinking water supply there uh, was was very very high. So I encourage you to take a look at this report uh, and take a look at the map at least and see if you're located near uh, some of these more heavily tainted sites. Of course, they're going to be in more urbanized areas. Uh, where there's more people living and things like that. But again, since uh, these forever chemicals are used pretty much everywhere throughout the United States uh, for agricultural reasons, you know, the, the poisoning of our, our entire continent basically continues. So uh, just something to keep in mind. Uh, we could talk all day about forever chemicals and how this has become a problem and been a problem for a long time. Uh, this isn't really a new thing. It's been a problem since long before I was even born, but I did want to mention it now because the report was a little bit more recent. Moving now to the southeast region, another more strategic uh, issue is there has been an outbreak of malaria. So uh, several cases of uh, organically obtained, uh, as in people who got it here in the United States, uh, malaria have been detected in Florida and in Texas, of course, some of them, you know, the hotter states, right? So if you were to do the research and find out what kinds of medical uh, experiments were being conducted in Florida uh, just uh, last year, uh, you might not be surprised to find out. Uh, who is kind of linked to this sort of thing. It's one of those things where you notice that a drill or an exercise or some kind of study is being conducted and, oh, look, uh, it just so happens to be that the first malaria outbreak uh, in many, many years uh, has occurred down in Florida in roughly the same area where this... uh, these, these scientific experiments were being conducted, right? So again, uh, one of those fifth generation warfare things, right? You know, uh, it's where you're never really going to know who did it uh, or if it's just an organic thing, but uh, we can all uh, kind of 
uh, infer from incomplete data sometimes uh, who who the culprit of this might be, if there is a culprit at all. And uh, so, yeah, it's just one of those things you're just going to have to uh, heap on your plate, uh, as if we don't already have a full enough plate, every single one of us. Uh, now we have to be concerned a little bit about malaria. Now, obviously, I cannot speak to the medical implications of malaria and the different strains and, and variants of malaria itself, uh, but I have had malaria uh, before. I did contract it in Southwest Asia uh, when I was doing some work over there, and uh, it was not a fun experience. I would not uh, I would not recommend it, but it wasn't horrific. Uh, I was still able to function. It just felt like I had the flu for a very long period of time, and uh, it just was generally not pleasant. Uh, but again, it, it wasn't horrific. Uh, I was able to still go to work uh, mostly every day uh, while getting over it. So yeah, it's just uh, very interesting that malaria is now uh, back in the United States. It's going to be hard to see how uh, how prevalent it is, but my guess is that um, we'll see in the next few weeks of a mass uh, insecticidal campaign throughout Florida and probably Texas as well, uh, depending on how many more cases they get, uh, which is probably going to be uh, worse than just getting malaria. So sort of along the same lines, and since this is basically the briefing of just my own personal gut feelings, I have noticed, and a lot of people have noticed, that there has been, at least in the American South, a, a rise in various kinds of pests this season. It seems like there have been an awful lot of ticks and mosquitoes and gnats and all kinds of bugs uh, that aren't normally present in this many, uh, this quantity. It just seems like it's been very bad this year, um, and I can't really say if that's more along the lines of some kind of you know, biological cycle or something, or if it's just due to weather or if it's due to something else. But I have noticed that. So, so I guess this is really just a reminder just to uh, stay safe this summer and uh, keep the pests away as much as possible, uh, especially the ones that uh, can uh, cause diseases, right? So let's go ahead and move on to the East Central Midwestern region. Uh, really, I just have uh, one min thing to mention, and that is the recent uh, bill that has been introduced and passed through the House, I think. Uh, this bill in the state of Michigan is a very serious bill. Uh, I would highly recommend reading the bill yourself. I will provide the link at the end, and you can take a look yourself and uh, just read it. Uh, it's not a very long bill, but it's very dystopian in nature. As we all know, the uh, political government and regime of Michigan has become basically the poster child for tyranny throughout the region, and uh, it's just one thing after the next, right? Uh, however, this bill is going to make it very, very difficult for people like me to even talk about what's happening in Michigan, right? It's going to make it very difficult for for really anyone to say anything whatsoever in the state of Michigan uh, without being criminally prosecuted, and I have very high confidence that this is going to pass. Uh, it will probably be challenged in court, but we know how the court system works these days. It uh, It's not exactly uh, interested in pursuing justice anymore. So I don't really think that uh, this is going to be a good thing for Michigan, and I think that a lot of uh, citizens throughout the area are going to be walking on eggshells um, like they have been already uh, underneath this state's uh, particularly intense uh, leadership style. So we'll just leave it at that, uh, and you guys can uh, check the bill out yourself. And uh, I'm actually going to have to skip over the rest of the United States, so we'll, we'll get to the, the other half of the Midwest, the Southwest, and the Western United States another day. Uh, there's just been too much uh, on my plate to, to 
to dive into those regions uh, because really I wanted to start talking a little bit more about Europe. As we all know, Europe is again a gigantic dumpster fire, uh, particularly France. So France is in what I think it would be accurate to call a prolonged uh, WROL state. France has been experiencing widespread uh, kinetic activity for a couple of weeks now that has resulted from many, many different issues. Now, I know that makes no sense, so let me explain. Uh, France, like most Western nations, has they've had a lot of issues bubbling beneath the surface for a while now. Uh, tyrannical leadership, insane communist policies, lockdowns, high food prices, censorship, you name it. Uh, France has been dealing with it, much like the United States. Uh, France has also been dealing with an unprecedented immigration crisis. Uh, and about two weeks ago, France had their own uh, little George Floyd moment, which, taking the initial incident out of the equation, uh, the, the actual incident with you know the police shooting, uh, if you take that out of the equation, this was just really just the spark that lit the waiting bonfire. Now, it seems like the unrest can hardly be called that anymore. Uh, that's why I'm hesitant to even call what's happening riots. Uh, it's way worse than just riots, right? Uh, this is way worse than the Yellow Vest stuff. This is more of a straight-up kinetic conflict. Uh, various French government agencies, and of course uh, the police, are now openly calling it a civil war. I don't know if I would go that far personally, but it sure does seem like the worst rioting Europe has seen for, for a very long time. Uh, like many riots of similar origin, uh, the initial incident seems to have been forgotten. Uh, this is no longer about a police shooting, and it's no longer just a, a simple issue of people being upset about that. Uh, it truly does seem like a free-for-all, since many French citizens who did not exactly have good feelings towards police prior to this, they're now supporting the police because of what's happening to their entire nation. Uh, other citizens see no winners here, and they're living in a war zone where nobody is in the right. Uh, the sentiments expressed by French citizens are, of course, very hard to gauge and, you know, very hard for someone like uh, me, a foreigner, to understand. Uh, and I can make up any research study to support my idea, but I think this severe unrest is really more of a culture clash, uh, a forbidden topic that nobody can touch without getting their livelihood stripped away. Uh, we're long past the time in which the truth has been criminalized, so we're all just kind of left with a lot of frustrations that can't be expressed, and a lot of issues that can't be solved because certain people have a stranglehold on all speech now. So this just makes conflict even more worse. Again, what I was kind of talking about in the beginning is that the flow of information throughout the world seems to have reached a point to where it's impossible to just communicate very simply about things. So these riots and unrest and just, you know, pandemonium throughout France is, is going to be an enduring issue, I think, because of this. Now, of course, the riots will probably die down in due time. Uh, this conflict will probably simmer down to some degree uh, after a while. However, just to the sheer number of people engaging in this warfare, uh, it's going to be a while. Uh, we're, we're not going to see stability in France for probably uh, several months at least. So yeah, this is going to be one of those enduring problems that we kind of keep touching on as it goes on. Moving on to Eastern Europe, I did want to touch on one issue which uh, has larger implications but is really mostly related to Ukraine. 
Now, as many of you know, I have uh, stopped covering the conflict in Ukraine for both personal and professional reasons. On the professional side of the house, it's, it is impossible, it is not allowed to have a neutral perspective of the Ukrainian conflict on YouTube. YouTube mandates that we support Ukraine uh, through their policies. So you cannot have any statements at all uh, which are negative towards Ukraine, which is why you're only seeing half of the story, right? However, all of that being said, I think we can kind of toe the line here a little bit and mention the United States uh, policy and decision to send uh, cluster munitions to Ukraine for use uh, in that conflict. Conflict. Now, let me state right up front, both Ukraine and Russia have used cluster munitions and other indiscriminate weapons throughout the entire conflict. It's just that the United States, uh, this change in policy, is now sending Ukraine uh, weapons that the United States has personally uh, signed several different treaties, if I'm not mistaken, uh, signed different treaties to ban. So the United States is sending uh, weapons to Ukraine that the United States has banned or, or signed on that they will not use anymore uh, in a clear uh, breach of their own uh, policies. Now, Ukraine, uh, cluster munitions are not illegal. They're not banned. In Russia, Russia never signed on to these agreements in the first place. So, you know, things like landmines and other, you know, indiscriminate uh, weapons that, that can uh, and have been known to cause uh, mass uh, problems for civilians after a conflict is over, uh, such as cluster munitions and you know things like that. Uh, Russia and most of Eastern Europe has really just not been interested in stopping the usage of these types of weapons, but the United States has, or so we thought at least. So the bottom line for all of this is that the United States is floating the idea of sending cluster munitions to Ukraine. Now, I have no doubt that the United States has secretly been providing all kinds of banned munitions to Ukraine in the first place, but that's just my own personal opinion. The real change in doctrine here is what's got a lot of people uh, hung up on this escalating the war. A lot of talking heads on TV are saying that this is going to escalate the war uh, more so than it has in the past, and it absolutely will, even though Russia has been using cluster munitions since day one. The United States stepping up the conflict, and uh, the reasons behind sending cluster munitions are somewhat frightening, to be honest. Uh, the Biden regime, through different various spokespersons, as well as Biden himself, has said the reason for sending cluster munitions now is, is because we're out of ammunition. The United States is actually critically low on ammunition for our own wartime stockpiles. Uh, I've heard rumors and uh, stories of training stateside being taken place with concrete rounds and concrete bombs because we've sent basically every single munition in the U.S. Army and in the United States military to Ukraine, except for a small uh, wartime stockpile that we keep here at home. And I'm sure that's been gutted as well as we covered uh, in the initial uh, phases of this conflict. Uh, armories all across the United States were emptied out uh, to send basically everything we had to Ukraine. So as if that's not unnerving enough, so this looks like a great opportunity for Russia to do what Russia does best and capitalize on the missteps by uh, American policymakers. Like clockwork, and especially since the Soviet times, all Russia has to do is sit back and wait for the United States to make a mistake that makes them look like a hypocrite, and Russia pounces. And that's exactly what's going to happen. And Russia's recent statements have, have reflected this, right? Russia has, a, has the uncanny ability to say something 
something uh, in response to uh, to an American policy that most Americans would nod their head and agree with, right? So Russia has stated that uh, because of this policy, this must mean that Ukraine is uh, very much in a weakened state and that they are losing the conflict. Uh, otherwise, why would you resort to sending banned munitions that you know the world should never see? The Russian political you know regime has a great way of phrasing statements in such a way that any reasonable person would just nod their head in agreement, um, despite the fact that it may not be the full story. Uh, but yeah, I just, just want to mention on that that we're probably going to see a renewal uh, or some kind of um, uh, response from Russia regarding uh, the decision of the United States to send cluster missions to Ukraine. Keeping with the theme of Russia, I wanted to briefly mention on BRICS. Uh, BRICS, as we all know, is the international trade coalition uh, comprising of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. There are other nations that are kind of like BRICS Plus members uh, that are not really uh, members of the full-on uh, BRICS organization, but for the most part, this will get us going. Uh, these nations are exploring the possibility of creating a joint currency which will be pinned to gold. Anybody with any sort of understanding of the history of economics knows how serious of an issue this is. For those countries, it will be great. It will strengthen their currency. It will it will create a a very good thing economically for a lot of those uh, for for all of those nations that, that choose to go this route. However, when we look at the history of nations that have tried and or either successfully or unsuccessfully to pin their currency to gold and get a and get back to the gold standard, I think it would be very very hard to argue against the statement that nations that do this tend to get involved in very hot wars at the behest of the United States. Without getting too much into the history of things, uh, we've got two other very famous nations that have uh, done this in the past, uh, Gaddafi and Saddam, right? So both of the, uh, you know, both the nations of Iraq and Libya uh, tried to pin their currency uh, to gold and look what happened to those nations almost immediately afterwards. Now, I'm not saying that that's the only reason why the United States uh, carried out military operations against these countries, uh, but it was most certainly a contributing factor. Uh, how much of a contributing factor, I guess, is up to for up, up for debate. But yeah, uh, if BRICS, uh, one of the largest international trade coalitions in the world, were to decide to do this, it would absolutely devastate the U.S. dollar. Um, that would not be a good thing for the U.S. dollar, and the United States would, um, very, very hot things would happen because of that, I think. Now, fortunately, uh, for, for now, uh, we've got some time left because it looks like India has basically torpedoed the idea. Uh, India has really had some economic problems of their own, and, um, they're looking at strengthening the rupee a little bit more than just create, than just abandoning it and creating a whole new currency. Uh, India's been going through some problems for a while now on the economic front, so they are kind of hesitant to get on board with a total changeover at the moment. And of course, China will probably not necessarily uh, be too uh, enthused about this as well because, you know, the yuan is is also rising uh, in value. However, with all economics pertaining to China, no one uh, can possibly have any kind of assessment that's accurate about the Chinese economy because it's a closed society, right? It's a communist regime, so we're not, you know, who knew communist governments kind of lie about things? Uh, so it's really hard to tell where China's at economically as it pertains to their currency, right? You know, you've got a country that purposefully devalues their currency for, for many, many years. That can't necessarily be a good thing, so... Either way, I know that's a lot more rambling about economics than anybody ever wants to hear, uh, but 
I think the bottom line is that there are very concerning things on the horizon, and one of the major contributing factors to a very significant war, uh, warfare in general, is economics. Uh, you know, economics leads to war uh, more than any other type of cause, uh, although the road to war is long uh, with many different paths, and there are many different uh, contributing factors towards warfare, but, but economics is a major factor uh, just by itself. So let's move on and wrap things up with some of the more enduring concerns that I have moving forward, taking all of this information and all the stuff that I haven't even covered today into account. Uh, you guys are pretty smart, and I, I can't possibly talk about every little single news item that has occurred in the months that I've kind of been away from these briefings. And all of us, throughout our just daily lives, we pick up on things, we see things in the news uh, that may or may not be true, uh, we see things not on the news that are definitely true or definitely false. Uh, the information warfare has just become absolutely palpable at this stage. And honestly, a lot of this information warfare is being carried out by organizations, agencies, and, and very powerful people who claim to be uh, bastions of free speech, and they're most certainly not. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Uh, there's a there's a phrase that, that kind of is, is very much a military phrase, but I'm sure it's in other parts of uh, society as well. And that idea is that if you don't have a solution to a problem, don't even talk about the problem, right? Because you, you never want to bring up a problem unless you have a solution for it. On the face of it, that sounds like a really good you know, idea. However, I absolutely despise it. I completely disagree with the sentiment because we're now in this, at least in my opinion, we're now in the, 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 the time period where we've got an awful lot of problems that we can't simply ignore because we don't have a solution for it. So I'm afraid to say that a lot of the content that at least we here personally are going to be working on is going to be the identification of a problem and not necessarily the solutions for that problem. Uh, we're, we're going to have to talk about things that we don't have a solution for. Now, on the other hand, I don't think it's a really good idea to dwell on problems that are very clearly out of your scope of control, right? Don't worry about what you can't change, basically. Uh, I agree with that to, to some degree as well. You know, everything is a little bit of a balance. So with all of this being said, uh, here are a couple of my enduring concerns, concerns that I'm going to have moving forward. And one of the main ones is just basic human needs, food, water, shelter, you name it, right? Your basic survival stuff, but not necessarily from a perspective of prepping. I think the prepping community has gone, or at least, you know, the prepping community that I see online. Now, hopefully the world doesn't really, isn't really that much of a reflection of what happens online, but it seems to me like priorities uh, have become very, very skewed over the past few years. And it's not just about stockpiling, but in-house production of a civilization, basically. You know, for me personally, I grew up in the country. I grew up uh, in the very rural area. And, you know, now that I've moved back to a very rural area, I'm again reminded as to how uh, human beings kind of got away from subsistence farming uh, because it's kind of a hard life. Trying to build civilization, you know, just at your house yourself is very, very difficult. There is a reason why cities sprang up. There's a reason why civilization uh, came as a result of cities. Uh, and unfortunately, right now, the same places that are essential for human survival are, you know, just cesspools of awfulness. So we've got a lot of challenges, right? I don't know if it's just me personally and, and my observations and the stuff that I've, you know, kind of been dealing with over the past couple of years, or if it's just me going through the same stuff that, that all of you are going through. Uh, but I've noticed that everything seems to be harder these days. Doing so much 
uh, many years ago with regards to self-reliance and and you know being off the grid and things like that. And it seems like everything is just harder now. Uh, and I don't know why. Maybe it has to do with uh, you know supply chain stuff, more more tangible issues you can you can talk about. Maybe things are just a lot more difficult. It's harder to get parts. Of course, inflation's a huge problem. You know, it seems like every honest man in the country is broke uh, these days. So maybe that has something to do with with how things seem to be more difficult. But I don't know. Uh, all I know is that it seems to me like every day uh, is getting more and more difficult. And maybe it is. Uh, and this applies not just to basic human needs, but also everything like communications, uh, standard preparedness stuff, Seaburn, uh, uh, topics like this. I don't know. Maybe I'm just getting to the point where I'm overwhelmed. But man, it, it's uh, it's tough living. Uh, and it's only going to get tougher. I know this. And, and you all know this as well. But uh, I feel like it still needs to be said that, man, things are getting harder. And you can say that all day long, but man, living it is very, very difficult. And this is made even worse due to the situation with regards to the institutions in our country. As many of you know, we're living in basically a prolonged, uh, without rule of law situation. Except, uh, all those survival manuals and those catchy little blogs, uh, we're not without rule of law. It's just the rule of law is being applied uh, to different people at different times and for different reasons. It makes it even diff- it makes it so difficult to even just say what you think. And it's why I have to censor myself so freaking much. I know a lot of people don't like that I censor myself a lot of the time, but I will say that it's a lot different when it's when it's happening to you, and um, there's only so much a person can take, and I am doing my best personally to take measures to make sure that I'm not censored, so that uh, we here can say, uh, you know, say the truth as we see it, right? You know, I could probably have a whole podcast dedicated to me talking about my own thoughts on censorship and my own ideology, I guess, my, you know, what I believe in on, on that topic. But I guess the short version is that, look, uh, we don't live in a free society. Uh, I think that's palpably clear. And despite the talking heads who get on TV and, and shout this at the top of their lungs, they have the money to say what they want. You know, they have the funding to be able to get out of things. It seems to me like the Americans that defend, you know, talk about censorship and all that kind of stuff, they're talking about people like Tucker Carlson. You know, so many people came out behind him and supported him, you know, when he got censored and canceled, right? But when it's the average person like me uh, who gets canceled, it doesn't seem like anyone bats an eye. So that's why I say that it's a lot easier when it's not happening to you, and it's why I'm spending many sleepless nights trying to find ways to prevent censorship, because it's not just about jumping from platform to platform. We have to reinvent how communications exist in the world. So, you know, it's really hard. It's really hard to exist in a world where your entire livelihood can get shut off because you said the wrong thing at a meeting, you know? And this really kind of hints at the last uh, thing that I'm more concerned about, which is the culture shift. But I'm not even sure that's an accurate representation. I'm, I'm very much confused these days as to whether or not culture has shifted has has culture shifted into something that we don't like anymore or has culture always been this way and we just haven't noticed it because we've been stuck in our own little bubbles i personally don't know i'm inclined to believe it's probably a little bit of both maybe we have our answer you know maybe that's uh maybe that's the theme for today is we kind of have our answer as to why so many people did not resist uh the past couple of years in everything from medical tyranny to their jobs to things like that. Maybe we have our answer. Maybe they don't want to. I don't tend to be very 
very pessimistic. Um, even these days, I try to be, I try to force myself to be optimistic. I generally think I'm a, I've been a realist for most of my life, but I try to be optimistic these days because I think that it's probably a necessary feature for getting through life uh, at this point. But man, it's really hard uh, not to point out some pessimistic ideas, which is that, you know what, maybe the reason why a lot of people went along with this tyranny is because they agreed with it. Unfortunately, this idea makes everything we do in life so much more difficult. Uh, it, it just complicates things, and it's largely the reason why I haven't been able to do these briefs for a long time. Because it's basically just, you know, a cycle of, well, you know, this horrible thing happens, I can't find any way to make this positive, uh, and I have no solution for it. It's just awful. Uh, you know, what do you do when you have a news cycle, and it's not even just a mainstream media, it's you have just every single world event that's occurred is, is something that's both negative and you can't really do anything about it. You know, like I mentioned earlier, I, I just don't want to talk about stuff that I don't really have any solution for. It's going to happen whether or not we want to or not, and even just knowing about it is not really that helpful because it's just going to move on to the next thing, right? I don't know. Maybe a lot of this negativity is just because I'm personally overwhelmed at the moment. I, you know, I'm working myself to death, you know, on a renovation project, and, you know, maybe that's just the reason why I, I seem to be more outwardly bitter than I than I probably am. You know, I don't mean that. Uh, I don't mean to be overly negative, for sure. And I certainly don't want to let these people uh, win the, the last square inch of terrain that I actually have control over, that which is between my ears. But I thought that having a more unscripted, uh, real kind of uh, briefing instead of a uh, just a news brief might actually be more, a little bit more helpful for some of you who are, who are uh, working through the same thing and uh, trying to figure out, well, what's going on and um, where we're headed, you know, as a people. Every day that goes by, I become a lot less sure of the information that I'm seeing, and I become a lot less sure of myself, uh, unfortunately. It's inevitable uh, in, in a fifth-generation war like that, so uh, keeping your head on right is, is very important, like I've said before, but it, it's easier said than done, isn't it? Uh, and I know a lot of you uh, are, are at the end of your rope uh, with regards to what's going on in the world, and you're just, you're just looking for some solution, any solution. And uh, I don't have those solutions, and uh, the only thing thing I can do is say that, you know, I'm not quite at the end of my rope yet, but I can see it from here, and uh, so I know how you feel, um, all those, uh, all of you out there who are uh, dealing with very challenging things. Even for me, there are days where I just have to keep telling myself, you know, focus on the things you can change, get fit, you know, eat right, move forward, and let God handle the rest. Even if some days I don't feel like it, uh, that's just kind of the way it is, and that's how I'm moving forward through a lot of this stuff. And to sort of wrap things up, uh, that's why I've focused a lot uh, recently on more educational topics. I know it's like you know, like you know, getting a kid to eat their vegetables, right? Uh, and it's not you know, educational stuff is never going to be as popular uh, as more entertainment type content, especially on like YouTube, which you know, algorithmically uh, does things to stuff like that. But I'm focusing on it uh, because I feel like this is one way that I can sort of tamp down the dread and kind of help people move forward, and and at the same time share. Some knowledge that's that's very helpful. You know, I've said for a long time that we have too much knowledge to learn and uh, not enough time left, and that is most certainly true. Uh, so I think that putting out educational content at a breakneck pace while still keeping uh, good quality is uh, very important. And learning things, being able to understand topics that you previously didn't understand, and at the same time, understand stuff that's going to help you through the next few years. You know, I think that's a great confidence booster and is really good for, for helping us get through uh, what is most certainly going to be a uh, challenging decade. So that's why I'm kind of focusing on the educational stuff, in addition to some of the other projects I'm kind of working on. 
So that's pretty much all I have for today. Uh, thank you all for watching. Uh, I seriously mean that. And um, I'm sorry if it wasn't uh, <laughs> the more uh, Intel-centric uh, update that, that everyone was probably expecting this one to be. But hey, it gets us back in the swing of things. And uh, as more international and, and large you know, strategic issues start to impact us on a, uh, on, a, on a daily basis, I think it's good to kind of understand how things are are working uh, up at these strategic levels, even if we, we can't really do much about it. And a special thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon and Utreon, which is uh, now Playur. Uh, you guys are awesome, and we could not do any of this work without your support. So I seriously mean that. So thanks for helping us carry on, and we will continue moving on, even if we have to, for the time being, fight in the shade.